My name is Dwayne, and I'm with an organization called HIV Hope, and we work all over the world doing HIV education. Um, but that's not exactly true, so I'll get to that in just a minute. But I'm one of those people that believes that any time we gather for anything like this, we need to start with prayer because we want to invite God to be here. So if you'll join me, I'd like to pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for this conference and for the impact that it's had on so many people over the years, including me. Thank you for the opportunity to share today. I ask, Father, that you would give me your words to share and that you would help us to accomplish whatever it is that you have planned, not what I've thought about, but what you want to do in our time together. Bring to my mind the things that that you know need to be shared with this particular group of people. And help us to get a vision for what you want us to do in the context of HIV AIDS around the world. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Like I said, my name's Dwayne Crum. Uh, I've been involved in HIV education since 1985. I got involved uh, 25 years ago. And, And to be honest with you... It wasn't something I wanted to do. Actually, in 1985, I'd been working for Billy Graham, and I knew it was a short-term assignment, and and a friend of mine called me one night, and he said, have you figured out what you're going to do next? I said, really? No, I don't know. He says, well, I just met a United States congressman. I said, really? I've never never met a congressman. What was that like? He said, well, it was really kind of interesting. He's looking for a press secretary. I said, do congressmen have press secretaries? I didn't know that. He says, yeah, and you'd be a good one. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) I don't know anything about the press and about as political as I get as I usually vote, but that's about it. He said, well, he wants to meet you. I said, well, I've never met a congressman. If he wants to meet me, sounds like fun. I'll meet him. So he set up a meeting for the next day, and believe it or not, he, he hired me. I went from not knowing congressmen had press secretaries in one week. I was a congressional press secretary. It was crazy. My first day on the job, he called me into his office. He said, now, Dwayne, one thing you need to understand is that everyone that works for me has at least one issue they study for me. I thought, this is going to be great. I'm going to have access to all the government's information to study an issue. This is going to be so much fun. He said, your issue is HIV-AIDS. It wasn't on my list. I didn't really want to study this subject, but it was my job. So I spent the next two years working in the Congress studying the subject and then left there to go to work for an evangelist that does high school assemblies all over the United States. And my first week with him, he said, you know, we really need to use all this AIDS knowledge you have to develop materials for schools. And I thought, God, you set me up. And I'm so glad that he did. I spent the next 10 years traveling all over the United States speaking to students in schools. And now I get to travel all over over the world doing HIV education. Let me ask you a question. Should the church be involved in HIV and AIDS? Everybody says yes. Why? Because the fact is the church is not involved in HIV in most cases. Most places in the world, including the United States, the church wants nothing to do with it. But you're all saying, yes, the church should be involved. Why? Because they're created in 
Who is? Okay, people who have HIV AIDS are created in the image of God. Okay. That, okay. They're looking for hope. Okay. What else? Yes. Prevention involves a change in lifestyle, and you can't change lifestyle without a change of heart. Prevention involves a change in lifestyle, which requires a change of heart. You know, I love what you're saying but I'm going to challenge it. Because as I work with HIV educators around the world and I ask them, what's your primary goal? What's your primary purpose? You know what the universal answer is? Behavior change. Let me suggest to you that that's wrong. Because if I stand in front of an audience with the idea that my goal is to change you, how do people respond to somebody that's come to try to change them? Do they respond positively or negatively? People don't want to be changed. More than that, if I stand in front of an audience and, and my everything I'm thinking is that my purpose is to change behaviors, what does that lead me to believe about everyone in my audience? Huh? Maybe that they're inferior... What's it lead me to believe about what they're doing? That That they all need to change. That they're all involved in things that put them at risk. Are they? No. I don't care what your audience is, there's going to be a significant number of people who are not doing anything that's putting putting them at risk. True? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm... Okay. Some audiences. I mean, if you're doing a, a seminar or a a teaching for prostitutes, maybe my previous statement doesn't apply. But with most audiences, there are people in the audience who are not doing anything that puts them at risk. Where are you most effective? Are you most effective in changing risky behaviors or reinforcing healthy behaviors? Reinforcing healthy behaviors is far more powerful So if you stand in front of an audience, if you prepare something with the idea, my goal is to change behaviors, you're inclined to throw away your most powerful weapon, which is reinforcing healthy behaviors. You see, my belief is that our purpose as HIV educators is not to not behavior change, but influencing behavior, which includes changing risky behaviors, but also includes reinforcing healthy behaviors. Does that make sense to anybody? So, yes, you're right that there are a lot of people whose behaviors need to change, but I don't want us to get into this trap of thinking behavior change is our purpose, because it's not. It's influencing behavior is definitely our purpose, but let's not leave out those whose behaviors are already healthy. Would you agree with that? Okay, so why else should the church be involved? We've said that, and, and, and it's fascinating the way it was phrased, they are people that God loves. You see, that starts us with a them and us attitude. People with AIDS are them. Folks, let me say this. Everyone in this room shows every sign and symptom of infection with HIV. 
Some of you are kind of not sure that you're agreeing with that. When, I, when, when I'm in Africa, and I, I, I'll often take a digital camera, I'll take a picture of a section of the audience and another section of the audience, look at the picture, yeah, yeah, it's true. And I say, everyone in all of these pictures shows every sign and every symptom of infection with HIV. I say, is that right? And they say, no. Say, yes, no, yes. It is true. You see, the problem is, so often, what's done in HIV education is that we teach people signs and symptoms of infection. Now, in the medical profession, in medical work, yes, it's important for you to know the signs and symptoms that are indicators that this person ought to be tested. True? But when you're teaching lay people and you teach them about those signs and symptoms... Those are not signs and symptoms of infection with HIV. Those are indicators that someone should be tested, but nobody can be diagnosed as infected with HIV without a test. True? The problem is when we teach lay people about signs and symptoms, they don't think of it as this is a reason to get tested. What they think of is, ah, now I can tell who's infected. See, in East Africa... They called AIDS slim disease long before anybody knew AIDS existed because there were so many people wasting away. Today in East Africa, it's still called slim disease. One of my trips to Kenya several years ago, I was talking to a guy. He said, I'm not going to get AIDS. I said, really? How are you going to avoid it? He said, oh, it's easy. I only have sex with fat women. It's logical. It makes sense. If it's slim disease, then if she's fat, she can't be infected. But I know an awful lot of fat people with AIDS and HIV. So you see, when we teach people signs and symptoms, we give them a false sense of security. And the result is that teaching increases the spread of HIV inadvertently. But what people need to be taught is that everybody shows every single sign, every single symptom, so the only safe assumption we can make is that everyone we know is infected. When we treat everyone we know the way we would treat somebody we know is infected, we're safe. Okay? So, what are the purposes of HIV education? What, what do you think should be accomplished through HIV education? Anybody? Come on, folks. This is a participatory time. An understanding of what HIV does to their body, okay, how it works, okay, to what end? Go ahead. All right, to what end? Why, why is it important for people to know that? So they can, they can either, to prevent it, for the contraction. Okay, so we want to slow the spread of the virus. For those who have it, so they can take their medications. All right, so that people can, can find out that they're infected and know how to, how to deal with it. Okay, good. Okay, and stay on their meds. Yes? An understanding, An understanding of how it's spread, which again is, is aimed at slowing the spread, right? Okay. Yes? Destigmatization. Ah, overcoming stigma and discrimination. Yeah. Which is huge. Stigma plays an incredibly big role in the spread of HIV. It needs to be brought under control, and it's, it's probably the most difficult thing to do. So we want to slow the spread. We want to uh, overcome stigma and discrimination. We want people to get get medication. We want them to stay on their meds. 
good adherence with medication. We also want to be encouraging people to be tested. I did a radio program this week with a pastor. I've forgotten exactly how it came up, but I said something about, I believe that all pastors should be tested for infection with HIV. He said, Dwayne, why would I be tested? I've never done anything that would put me at risk of infection. Why do you think church leaders should be tested? I said, well, if nothing else, to set an example for your congregation. I mean, how many people, I, I said, pastor, in all your years as a pastor, has there any, ever been anybody in your church that has confessed to you that they've committed a sin? Stupid question, right? <laughs> has there anybody, been anybody that's confessed that they've committed the sin of having sex outside of marriage? Of course. Okay, for everyone that's confessed that to you, how many more are there that haven't? And you don't think the people in your church need to get tested? People need to be tested. We need to be encouraging that. So what do we need to do in HIV education? How do we go about this? Well, let me suggest to you that I wish my... There we go. That, we, that the approach to HIV education needs to be motivational. Just giving people facts and figures and information doesn't do the job. They need to be motivated to apply what they learn. That's critical. And that's why I no longer do HIV education around the world. Instead, what I'm now doing is seminars around the world that empower local people to create their own messages, their own materials, their own strategies for HIV education. Because, folks, effective motivation has to come from inside a culture, not from outside. I used to travel around the world doing HIV education. People made me feel really good that I was doing a great job. And then I realized after I left, they were saying, well, you know, those ideas are good for that white guy, but they don't fit the way we live. It has to be created by people from within the culture. They're the only ones that know how to do it. And it needs to be positive. In other words, rather than, what's the motivation that's almost always used in HIV education? Fear. Absolutely. How effective is fear as a motivator? Over time, over time it's very ineffective. It wears off. You know, let's take an example. Somebody is afraid of HIV, and so they decide, I'm going to say, I'm not going to have sex outside of marriage. And then they, they know people in their culture who are having sex with many, many partners who don't look like they're sick. They say, gee, why am I not doing what they're doing? I mean, if the only reason not to do it is fear of infection, these people are healthy. You see, fear doesn't work as a motivator. That's why we call our organization HIV Hope, is because HIV education that is effective is always based on hope. Who can tell me what John 10.10 says? Okay, the second half of the verse is Jesus, this is something that Jesus said. He said, I've come to give you that you would have life and that more abundantly, fulfilling life. But what's the first half of that verse? The, the thief comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan's purpose 
is to steal everything we have that's of any value, to kill us, to destroy us. Jesus comes to give us life, an abundant life. So how do you get abundant sex life? Who knows more about sex than anybody else? God. God knows how to give us an abundant sex life. If you want an abundant sex life, do it the way he said, the way he designed it. It's a wonderful gift from God. But like every other gift that God gives us, if we use it the way he designed it, it's incredible. Take it out of the context he designed it for and it can destroy us. That's what the enemy came to do, was to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to destroy it. You want to have an abundant sex life? Save it for marriage. Wait until you're married. Once you're married, stay faithful. So the motivation is, is not a motivation to avoid infection with HIV. The motivation is to be able to enjoy abundant life. And by the way, abundant life also avoids infection with HIV. Does that make sense? It's a totally different way of looking at this, but it's a far more effective motivational strategy. Okay. So, fear versus hope, we've talked about that. Let's talk about culture for a minute. And this is a, a model that I've stolen from uh, one of my friends, uh, Dr. Dan Fountain, who, who's here this weekend. It's all built on worldview. Worldview, how we see the world, what we believe is real, is central to everything that we do. Okay, so it starts with our worldview. Out of the worldview comes our beliefs. So worldview is what is real. Beliefs are what we believe is true. From beliefs, we derive our values, what is good. And from our values, what we believe in good, comes our behaviors, what we do. Or if you go the other way, you start with, Behaviors, that's what's observable, that's what's done, that's what people are doing. Behaviors are based on what people believe <clears throat> is valuable, what people believe is good on their values. Their values are based on what they believe to be true. And what they believe to be true is based on what they believe is real. The problem is, most of us have no idea what our worldview is. And most of the people we work with don't. And again, this is why, because it all has to be built on worldview, that's why we as Westerners can't do, develop HIV education. We, we can't develop a curriculum and then teach people in another part of the world to use the curriculum that we've created because our curriculum is based on our worldview, not on theirs. It has to be something that's based on their worldview. And so one of the things that has to be done in order to empower people to do that is that they need to get involved in discussion. And what we do in our seminars is facilitate discussion where the participants get an idea, begin to see and look at what is our worldview? What is it that we believe is real? And from that, then they are empowered to create things that will be effective in their culture. One of the things that I've come to realize is that in many, many, many places in the world, there are huge segments of the population 
that don't understand science. Okay? Take it a step further. There are many places in the world. I was just in Haiti. I spent a lot of time in Africa where not only do they not understand science, they don't trust science. Science is a Western concept. Let me me try this. Imagine that I hit a tree with my fist. I know that the reason my fist hurts is because I hit that tree, right? What if my fist started hurting today and you knew that the reason, and you had scientific basis for proving that the reason my fist hurts is because I hit a tree 10 years ago? Does that make any sense? None at all. Well, for a lot of people who don't understand or worse yet don't trust science, telling them that the reason this person is sick and dying today with AIDS is because of somebody they had sex with 10 years ago is like telling them that their fist hurts today because they hit a tree 10 years ago. It makes absolutely no sense. It's far, far easier and far more consistent with their worldview to believe that the reason this person is sick and dying is because somebody put a curse on them. That's far more consistent with the way they live and the way they see their world than that this person had sex with somebody 10 years ago. They got this little thing that that nobody can see without an incredibly powerful microscope that got into their body and over the last 10 years has been working in their body and damaging a part of their immune system so that it doesn't work properly and that's why this person is sick. For somebody that doesn't understand and more so doesn't trust science, those things that we accept as normal, as as obvious, make absolutely no sense to them. How do you communicate? How do you do HIV education without using science? And one of the things I love doing in seminars is having the people in the seminar break up into small groups and develop a way. The first thing we do at the beginning of the week is have them make a list, as I did you, a list of the purposes of HIV education. So then how do you accomplish those purposes without talking about science? I'm not saying it's easy. But the easy way isn't working. Ways need to be found to accomplish the purposes without relying on communicating or on people believing or understanding scientific concepts. Now, I'm going to say something that's really dangerous at this conference because I'm risking offending you. So hear me out, please. Don't write me off immediately. In my experience around the world, the very worst HIV educators are healthcare professionals. It's true. And yet, who are the first people that that, that people want to have teach? It's healthcare professionals. Why are they the worst? 
because they rely on communicating information rather than motivation. Because frankly, medical people tend to feel like they have to give people all of the information that they have, and they give them far too much information, and they put people to sleep at best. If you're asked to do HIV education as a healthcare professional, please resist that temptation. Give people just the information that they need. Again, start with defining your purposes. What are you trying to accomplish? And give them only the information that's necessary to accomplish your purposes. Anything more than that is too much and is going to get in the way of accomplishing your purposes. Are you with me? I should have said this at the beginning. I want this to be informal. Anytime you have any questions, please ask them. Anybody have any questions at this point? I, I, I don't mind at all being interrupted by questions. Sorry for not starting that way. No questions at all? Gee, you guys are easy. Thank you. Okay. Public health people tend to be more into the motivational side of things. And, and thank you for asking the question because it allows me to, to moderate what I said before. What I was saying was a generalization, and there are exceptions to every generalization. Uh, and, and I say it here because I think it's important for people who are, are healthcare professionals to be thinking about those kinds of things and avoiding being that kind of an HIV educator. So uh, people in public health probably are, are bad at it, but still have a tendency to have more information and give more information than people need and, and, and not put enough focus on motivation. One of the things that I love doing in seminars is I love having people make lists. And I'll have everybody in the group, I'll say, okay, we need to make a list. What are the things that motivate people in your culture to be involved in sex outside of marriage? This is both having sex before marriage and after they're married not being faithful. And they always make a huge long list. I mean, there are, <laughs> that's an easy list. Then we do another list that's not quite so easy. Are there people in your culture who are saving sex for marriage? Are there people in your culture who are waiting until they get married or after they get married are being faithful? Yeah, every culture I've been in. I've done this seminar in 15 different countries in the last four years. Every time, yes, of course there are people here. Why? What, what motivates people in your culture to save sex for marriage? Now, that's a harder question because we've really never thought it through. But until we think it through, how effective are we going to be at motivating people to make that choice in their lives? I remember being in Chiang Mai, Thailand at a Bible college. And the list of things that motivate people to save sex for marriage was extremely short. In fact, they only had one answer. Because God said so. So then we spent a good deal of time talking about why did God say so? Why did God choose to say save sex for marriage? Did, did God, when he created man, 
did he flip a coin and say, well, heads, I tell them to have sex with only one person. Tail, I, tails, I say, have sex with everybody because I want you to populate the earth. Is it, was it a capricious decision on God's part to say, save sex just for marriage? You're laughing. No, obviously it wasn't a capricious decision. God had a reason for it. What was his reason? Huh? Why did God tell us to save sex for marriage? There are a lot of people that say, well, because God doesn't want us to have any fun. He picked all the fun things in life and said, don't do any. I mean, you know, Scripture says that sin is pleasurable, right? For a season. But the end is death. Did God choose all of those things and say, don't do them because I don't want you to have fun? I don't think so. That's not my God. My God wants me to have life in that more abundantly. No, God said don't do these things or make these choices because he wants us to have abundant life because he loves us. He loves us enough to say, if you do those things, it'll hurt you. I don't want you to be hurt. I want you to enjoy life completely. So we need to be giving people the information that will free them to be able to enjoy an abundant life. Are you with me? You guys are awfully quiet. I'm dumping a lot on you, aren't I? Okay. Oh, by the way, The other thing that I love doing in these seminars is saying to people, I want you to develop ways of accomplishing your purposes, slowing the spread, overcoming stigma and discrimination, getting people tested, um, getting people medical care, all of those kinds of things that don't depend on talking about HIV or AIDS. Why would we do that? The reason is, people have been hearing about this disease for 25, 30 years. The vast majority of the general public are sick and tired of hearing about HIV and AIDS. And as soon as you say HIV or AIDS, they switch their brains off. They start thinking about something else. I know all I need to know about this subject. I don't need to, I don't need all of this stuff. I already know it. Now, they know a lot, but a lot of what they know is wrong. The myths that I get told every time I travel, you wouldn't believe. If people are going to stop listening as soon as you start talking about HIV or AIDS, then people need to be thinking about ways of doing HIV education that doesn't use those terms. And it can be done. It's hard. But it can be done. And it needs to be done. Now, this may be the most important concept that I have to share. HIV and HIV education is not just about science. It's not just about facts and figures. It's not even just about motivation. It's not about any of those kinds of things. It's not just about medicine. HIV is about people. If we lose sight of the people, we fail. 
I've been involved in HIV education for over 25 years now. One of the joys of that has been the wonderful, wonderful people that I've gotten to know and that have become incredibly good friends who are living with this disease. I thank God for those friendships. But those friendships also mean that I've been at the bedside of far more people than I would like dying with this disease. Every time I lose somebody, the temptation is there to just focus on the facts, the information. Quit building those relationships. And then God reminds me, if I lose touch with people, if I lose sight of the people, I won't be effective anymore. Folks, HIV is about people. If we forget about the people, if we lose touch with the people, then everything we do will become far less effective. It's all about people. Uh, I've already talked about this. Everyone's at risk. We've already talked about behavior change and influencing behavior. Okay. So who's the target audience? When somebody is doing HIV education, who should be their target audience? Everyone's at risk, absolutely. Let's think about it this way. As I travel around the world, I find that, that all of my audiences, everybody in, in any audience, can be divided in, in, in one of three groups. The one group I call the A's. Just they're A, B's, and C's because it's simple and it's easier for me to remember. The A's are those people who are absolutely committed to saving sex for marriage, not having sex before they get married. Once they get married, they're, they're not going to stray. It doesn't matter how much temptation there is. They are not going to get involved in sex outside of marriage. Absolutely committed. You can't change their minds. Okay? The C's are people who are committed to having sex outside of marriage. Some of them are people who are not yet married and they're having sex already and doesn't matter what you say, they're going to keep it up. Some of them are married and regardless of what you say, they're not going to stop. Okay? Now the bees are somewhere in the middle. The, the bees, some of the bees are acting like C's, but with enough motivation could be convinced to act like A's. Some of the bees are acting like C's, but with enough temptation could be convinced to act like C's. Now, the B's, instead of being a fixed point of absolutes like the A and the C, the B's are really a continuum. Some of the B's are on the A end or more toward the A. Some of them are more toward the C. The question is, if you have to choose, and you do, which of those three groups should you choose to be thinking of when you decide how you're going to phrase your message in HIV education? Or when you help other people do HIV education, what should you be encouraging them? Who should you be encouraging them to target? The A's, the B's, or the C's? The B's? Really? Which of these three groups is the greatest risk of infection? C's. The, the, I mean, the C's are absolutely at the greatest risk because they're all having sex with somebody outside of marriage and multiple partners. So why the B's? And nobody's saying A's. 
Ah, okay. Two reasons to focus on the bees. First of all, they're by far the largest group. But second, they're the ones who can be motivated to change one way or the other. Now, that doesn't mean that the seas should be ignored. The seas need information. The seas need to know, for example, that they need to be using condoms, using them correctly every single time, a brand new one every time, all of that. They need to know that. In fact, there are a lot of bees who are acting like seas who also need that information. The fact is, everyone needs to know about condoms. Now, as Christians, we're a little uncomfortable talking about condoms. But you know what? If we decide not to talk about condoms, then who are they going to hear about condoms from? People who are convinced that condoms are, are, are the only answer to HIV education. When I go to the International AIDS Conference, I was in Mexico City a couple of years ago. I, in my entire life, cumulatively, I had never seen as many condoms as I saw in one week. <laughs> Every delegate's bag. When you got here, you got this, this book with all the descriptions of the seminar. We got a bag full of things, and in the bag was a week's supply of condoms for every one of us. And every term, time we turned around, there were teenagers handing out free condoms. And there were people dressed as giant condoms. And there, I mean, there were, there were tables set up with, with all kinds of decorating materials and so on, and you could make a condom pin uh, to wear. I mean, if we don't tell them the truth about condoms, then what are they going to hear about condoms? So how do we approach it? The way I approach it is to say, look, you're not, I think you're smart enough and strong enough to make the choices that are necessary so that you won't even need to think about using a condom. But we all need to know the truth about condoms because we all have friends who are involved in sex with people who might be infected. We need to know the truth so we can tell them. See, that gets away from the don't but if you do kind of permission thing, but it also gives people a permission to hear to listen, to understand, and then tell them the truth. Anyone who takes the risk of having sex with somebody who might be infected needs to use a brand new latex condom every time, use it correctly, follow all the directions, store it correctly before using it. Latex starts to break down when it gets to a certain temperature. Stick it in your pocket, it's going to fall apart eventually. Condoms, condoms don't make sex safe. They make it less dangerous. See, I don't like calling them safe sex because that's putting the emphasis on safety. I'm far more comfortable talking about less dangerous because the emphasis is on danger and we're just reducing the danger. Okay? So the goal is to move not the A's toward the C's, but the C's, people acting like C's toward acting like A's. If your focus is on the C's, and let me say the vast majority of HIV education materials out there targets the C's. And when you do that, you motivate people, the B's who are acting like C's, to act more like C's. Whereas when you put your focus on the B's and helping them to move toward acting like A's, you're, you're moving in the direction you want to go. Yes? Is there a difference, depending on where you are, what age the target audience well, now you're getting into an entirely different area that I think is very important. 
your, your message needs to be appropriate to your audience. And, and by the way, don't ever try to identify who's A's, B's, and C's, you know. Let's see, she looks like an A, she, no, she didn't, no, 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 she doesn't. Anyway, <laughs> we, 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 you know, and, and all the A's sit over here, all the B's here, no, 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 no. No, this is just something among us, okay, it's not something that we teach to groups. But we need to be thinking about our audience and what's appropriate. And what's appropriate isn't just age, because, but, but in every group, in even every age group, there are going to be more those that lean more toward C's and those that lean more toward A's. So this is true of any age group. But the language we use, the content of what we present should be different based on the age group. It also should be different, for example, if, if your audience is people who's, who've gotten through the third grade, you're going to phrase your message, or the message needs to be phrased very differently using different language than if it's all university graduates. So the, all of those kinds of things need to be taken into account. Actually, there are three tests that need to be met for anything that's taught and any answer that's given to any question. It has to be accurate. Now, accurate means, obviously, that the information is correct, but it also means that if someone is asked a question, you know, when you're teaching, there's always going to be those questions that you've never heard before and you're not sure of the answer. Accurate means you don't guess. Accurate means I don't know, but I'll find out. Accurate, adequate, there needs to be enough information so that they know why, so that they're not just not going to be confused by somebody giving them another answer. Let me give you an example. The classic example of an inadequate answer. <coughs> Around the world, the most common question I'm asked. Can HIV transmit, be transmitted by mosquitoes? What's the accurate answer? Come on, people. You know the answer. Can HIV be transmitted by mosquitoes? No. no. Is that an adequate answer? If it was, people wouldn't still be asking. People, well, malaria is spread by mosquitoes. Why not HIV? If, the, if we don't give an adequate answer, people don't have what they need to be able to apply and internalize and use the information that they're being given. So it has to be accurate, has to be adequate, has to be appropriate to the age group, to the culture, to the context, to the education level of the audience, all of those things. Okay, any other questions? So what, what we're doing and, and what I would encourage is that instead of, of us going and teaching, what I want to encourage is that we, we empower nationals to do the teaching. We empower them to not teach our materials, but we empower them to create, develop their own materials, their own strategies, their own messages, their own ways of doing it that are based on their worldview, on their culture. That's the way we're going to bring this thing under control. Um, oh, boy. I'm running out of time. There's one other thing that I'd like to show you uh, just to give you a little better idea of what it is that we're doing at HIV Hope. This is a video that was just finished for us.
HIV Hope's mission is to empower people around the world to create their own culture-specific approaches to HIV education that will motivate people in their cultures to make healthy life choices. HIV Hope is a transformational ministry. The church's attitude is being transformed from seeing HIV as a, a dirty, messy subject that they don't want to be involved in to realizing that HIV provides us with incredible opportunities for ministry. Actually, instead of showing you that, I think what I want to do is see if there are any other questions that you have. I want you to know that I've written a book on this subject. We call it HIV Hope for the Nations. That's available. I also, three or four times a year, send out an email update on the research that's being done around the world about HIV and AIDS so that it goes to everybody that's participated in one of our seminars. If it's something that you would like to get by email, uh, you can give me your email address or put a sticker, one of your stickers on the page up here and make sure your email address is clear so that I can put you on the mailing list for that. My business cards are here. Anybody have any questions? Yes? What about IV drug use? What about IV drug use? What do you... I'm, Tell me a little bit more about what you're asking. No, I'm just wondering, what about attacking that, that issue? Well, actually, IV drug use is, is a major problem here. It's a major problem in Eastern Europe. Uh, Russia has the fastest-growing epidemic of HIV, and much of that is because of IV drug use. But two-thirds of all cases are in sub-Saharan Africa, and there's really not a lot of IV drug use there. Uh, actually... Who knows the, the drug that plays the greatest role in the spread of HIV? Meth. Hmm? Meth? Meth, no. Alcohol. I was amazed when I first learned that. I thought, how do you get HIV by drinking a beer? You don't. But when people are under the influence of alcohol, they do things they wouldn't do if they were not. There have been studies that have found that as many as 50% of the people living with HIV were under the influence of alcohol when they were infected. Now, alcohol is a huge factor around the world that's not being effectively addressed, especially in this context. The, the blood transmission of HIV in, in much of the world is very rare. It, it's the thing that people ask the most about or most worried about. If I'm in a, if I'm in a taxi with, you know, 15 other people in a little minivan and we get in an accident, I, somebody else in there is infected and I get their blood. The risk of that is really very small. The, the bulk of HIV transmission in the world is heterosexual sex. That's by far the majority of cases. But yes, where that's an issue, obviously that needs to be addressed. Thank you. Yes, sir? I do, um, I do a lot of education in China. And I ah. Actually, an article from the China Daily says, education is the best cure in the fight against AIDS. And I always ask my audience, is this true or not? And I, as an illustration, it's, how many of you know a doctor who smokes? Obviously the highest educated and the dangers of smoking. Um, I, I really believe that education and motivation is, you know, both those important motivation more, but the support is where I uh, think is the most absolutely. changing any type of behavior. I'd just like you to comment on that. Absolutely. Support is absolutely essential. And, and, you know, you talk about doctors who understand how tobacco, how smoking cigarettes spreads the virus and still smoke. And by the way, the behaviors that spread HIV are an awful lot more fun than smoking a cigarette. 
So there's a need for a lot more motivation when it comes to HIV than even with, with smoking. But support is absolutely, yes. And, and that's why it's important to, to encourage people to put together groups of folks who, are, who have made the decision to, to live life, uh, to live their lives in a way to be A's or act like A's. That there needs to be that encouragement because there is so much in any culture bombarding them, encouraging them to have sex outside of marriage. Yes, you're right. Yes. How available are the drugs for treatment now? How available are the ARVs? It depends on the country. Uh, more and more places they're available. However, in, in most places in the, in the developing world, all we have is first-line ARVs. So if somebody stops taking them and develops resistance or if, if, they, if they're not able to tolerate them, we don't have the, the, the pantheon of ARVs that we have available in the United States. So ARVs are making a huge difference. The other thing is that we're far from universal access to ARVs in, in most countries in the world based on the person needing ARVs when their T-cell count gets down to 250 or 200. The World Health Organization is now saying that we ought to be starting them at 350, which means that, that there are millions more people who now are defined as needing ARVs, but we're not doing a good job, and funding for HIV is at best plateauing and probably dropping off. So just when we have a greater need, the the funding is is dropping off. So it's we've we've made some progress, but there's there's a real concern that, that that's going to go backwards. Yes. Well, <clears throat> the question is, how do we how do we get this happening and and continuing, and who who does it and who funds it? My belief is that that the kind of thing that needs to be done to be effective in HIV education needs to be something that's sustainable with local resources. And so, what we need to be doing is empowering nationals to do this in a way that not only fits their worldview, but a way that that they can do without outside assistance. We need to be moving in that direction, and we need to be empowering them to do it and, and, and letting them make those decisions instead of us making the decisions for them and telling them how to do it. Right, right. But I think even that development of the training materials, and let's say if you're going to use a curriculum, that, that, that involves a lot of resources in the first place. Right, and, but again, the development of the materials, they need to be doing the development. Not, we may, may need to provide them with some resources for it. We need to... Prov- Pray that God will provide those resources, but we shouldn't be writing it. And 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 the the level of dependency in so many people, the attitude of dependency in so many places in the world is so great that if we're involved, they're going to be looking to us to tell them what to write and how to write it and all that kind of thing. So we need to be backing off as much as we can and getting out of the picture as much as we can and letting them do it. That that. That's a tension kind of thing. It's tough. 
Uh, there's a there's a book that I saw down in, in one of the exhibit halls that I think is just outstanding. I recommend it to everybody, and it's called When Helping Hurts, because there's so much that's being done to help people, and its the, its primary focus is on poverty alleviation, but it, it relates to this subject too. There's so much of being what's being done that is that is detrimental, and we need to be doing things in a way that empower people and and that give them the tools they need to do it themselves instead of depending on us. Folks, thanks so much for coming. I hope to have a chance to visit with you this weekend while we're here at this conference. I hope this has been helpful to you. Take my business card. I'd love to be in touch with you in the future. I'd love to do uh, seminars with you around the world. God bless you. Thanks for coming. I want to do that. I haven't had any. I haven't done I mean, it yet. Are you a one-man? So far, actually, we're we're right at the process, right at the point now. Of we're we're merging HIV Hope with an organization called Stop the Spread, that's also doing HIV education, and and the goal is to get to to have other people because I can't I can't do as much as is needed, and I'm an old man. I can't do this forever. It's got to continue.